grad student. Well, we did it. We made it through midterms, or you're about to. I hope everyone is getting through this semester all right and doing all of the self-care necessary, especially to make it through the next couple of weeks. Also, happy Halloween! No need for costumes this year! Everything is spooky and I can't feel my body. Anyone else? Also, this is a great time to mention that as part of your self-care over these next few weeks, you would probably benefit from someone else grabbing your groceries for you. That's where Instacart comes in. Instacart is a grocery delivery service that delivers your groceries in as fast as one hour. Your food is hand-selected by shoppers at the store, and Instacart even highlights deals and suggestions for your new food favorites. Plus, this is a great no-contact option which protects you and those around you. So if you're interested, head now to the show description or the show notes on whatever app you're using and click the link for Instacart. With this link, you can get free delivery on your first order over $35. Anyways, today's episode is a day in the life with first-year master's student in Canada, Kara Davidson. Hello listeners, welcome back to Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana. I'm a fourth-year doctoral student and your host, and I'm joined today by first-year master's student studying intimate partner violence and maternal and infant health, Kara Davidson. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. We had a really good chat going before, and like always, I'm like, okay, save it for the episode, save it for the episode. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's been a week. We are recording the day after the news that Breonna Taylor's murderers are not being indicted for murder or manslaughter, and that in fact, one person is being indicted on charges related to endangering her white neighbors. So America is apparently alive and well, and... um, I feel angry today and I know that my black friends and colleagues are really hurting and are tired and they want justice and I want justice. And this is also happening during Black and Mental Health Week. So I do want to quickly shout out at Black in MH on Twitter. They're providing a ton of support for black students and professionals. And they had a really fantastic week so far this week. And I'm sure that those things are going to be archived on their page. But it's been a week. It just... <laughs> I was like, should we reschedule? Like, I don't know. Like, is it should, but we didn't. It's like hard because it's so heavy to talk about, but at the same time, you can't not talk about it. And at yeah. the same time, it's all anyone wants to talk about because we're all kind of feeling it together. And I almost feel like it would be like disrespectful and wrong to not bring it up. Hence why I am bringing it up in this episode. And also like, you know, it's conflicting because I actually yesterday was a really exciting day. It was bi visibility day. And I like publicly announced on Twitter that I'm bisexual. And thank you. I got really great feedback. Your GIF was the first one. I don't know if people say GIF or GIF, but I grew up in the Tumblr years of 2012. So I say GIF. Your GIF was amazing. And the first one I got. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And it was like really great. And then the day was like really not so great. So I I'm in a conflicting place. And despite all of that, I'm really excited to record this episode with you. Thank you for being here. Of course. Making it happen. And you're the first master's student to be on the podcast. How does it feel? Uh, It feels great. I also feel bad that I'm the elected representative. (laughs) Okay, wait. Okay, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. Whatever this episode becomes, you're only really representing your experience. You don't represent all master's students, but you you do represent an important person to tell a story and to like talk about what it's been like so far, what you're going to be doing going forward. And I'm going to have other master's students, so you will not be the <laughs> spokesperson. Okay, I promise. Okay, that's it. <laughs> and before we get started, I always like to shout people out on social media at the beginning before 50% of people stop listening to the podcast at the end. Um, too real? Okay. Uh, so what is your social media? Like, where can people find you online? I think I you have a website. I found your website. Oh my god. Okay, so my website, okay, my side gig when I'm not being a grad student, I'm a freelance writer. So if you I go there. It's only oh you did okay I didn't I didn't stalk you so I feel like we're on uneven territory. Here's the thing. Okay, to be fair, (laughs) I stalk all of my guests, but that's usually so that I have a good description of like their research and like I want to make sure that I can like ask them about important parts of themselves. So like it's not you, it's me. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that website is uh it hasn't been updated in a long time because I kind of got my roster of freelance clients and now those are the people I'm working with. So like please don't go there. It's not a not a place that represents who I am. We will not link the website below, (laughs) but what is your Twitter that people can follow that's like academic stuff and like all of that? Yeah. So if you're interested in like feminism, maternal infant health, intimate partner violence, and just generally 
the struggles of grad school, you can find me on Twitter at Kara A. Davidson, and that's Kara with a C. Yeah, C A R A. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And as always, everyone, she's going to be linked in the description down below, so you can click that. And if you didn't hear that five seconds ago, don't worry. Stick around to the end. We're going to say it again. So let's jump into today's episode, this day in the life of you, Kara. Let's start with your research. What do you research? Where's your interest in it come from? Like, what do you do? Oh, man. So the way I see it is under the broad umbrella of feminism. Like I was an edgy kid, you know, like gender equality was always kind of my thing before I even had a name for it. Mm -hmm. For example, in like grade six, there was like the class president elections and then it was all guys. And I was like, well, I can do this job. So like, why don't I do it? Yeah. I did the job, you know? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Feels good to be validated. I'm a therapist. I'm really good at that. So yeah, that's that's kind of where it started. And then so my whole life, I've been involved in feminism. I, like again, with my writing stuff, like a lot of it was feminism. And then when I finally discovered research, like, oh, I can do research about women and how to better support them and health and all of that. So it all just kind of intersected and came together, which was really nice. Uh, and so then I kind of fell into intimate partner violence and maternal infant health because I met my supervisor, who is an incredible woman. And I think... This is like my little advice bit for any grad student. Choose your master's based on your supervisor, not on the topic, because that's all about your skills. And if they're not supportive, you're not going anywhere. Yes, I love this. We're not even 10 minutes in. You're already dropping advice and tips. I think that's so important, though. It sounds like you have a really good fit with your advisor, your passion for feminism and your fit with her. That sounds like a nice puzzle of like those pieces just all fit together really well. And it sounds like it's benefiting you, even though you're only a couple weeks in. Yeah, (laughs) well, I did my undergrad that's how I met my supervisor at the same school that I study at and oh that makes sense into the master's so I guess it was kind of an advantage to know her before and like work with her research before and then to segue in was really smooth really easy yeah well it's just like the the pros of networking you know, reaching out as an undergrad to people who are relevant just to your interests, right? Even if you hadn't been able to like really seamlessly flow into your master's, it sounds like she would have been a person who would have at least known people that maybe that could have happened with. So it's useful either way. So you're a first year master's student. And before we started recording, you said something that I'm I'm still recovering from, which is that you're trying to do your two-year master's in one year. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, are you okay? Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm actually doing okay. <laughs> I'm very, very busy but I'm one of those people who thrives on busy. So if I have too much free time, that's when I procrastinate and don't get anything done. So this works for me. I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. Like if that's not your working style, do not do this, but I am enjoying it. And I really like, I'm liking everything that I'm doing, even though it's really busy. I mean, coursework and then being an RA and then having a thesis. And then, I mean, just also life. I mean, it adds up, but if it works for you, I would say do it. Well, okay. So this actually brings up my next question was like, are you psychology, sociology? Like, so I ponder the health sciences. Okay. So like, will your master say like a master's in science and health sciences? Yes. So it's a master of science in health and rehabilitative sciences. And then my kind of specialization is measurement and methods. Ooh, fancy. That's math. It is math. And you know, what's funny is that I chose my undergrad program because I knew I would only have to take two stats courses. Oh my gosh. Wait, (laughs) I kind of did something similar. Not quite, but I chose psychology because I'm like, oh, I don't have to write essays or read a lot. Yeah. I'm not even gonna say anything. You know what you did. I, you know what? I'm learning it every day. <laughs> and now I'm like, why am I such a bad academic writer? Well, maybe because I emotionally avoided it for like years and then decided to do a PhD in it, but that's fine. So you're getting your Master of Science in Health Sciences. What is coursework like? What are your like expectations as a student? I'm so curious because for clinical psychology, like my program is six years. So I really, I literally can't fathom what one or two years looks like. Well, six years, like obviously you cannot compress that because there's too much to go around. Well, that's if you do it on time. Yeah, wow. But yeah, so my master of science is actually very flexible uh, in the courses. Like I'm not actually taking any courses within my faculty right now. Love that. Being uh, actually one in psych for their methods course, because psych is really, really good with their methods. And that's a great place for me to learn from. And then I'm also, my one other course is in epidemiology. So I only have two courses on my plate right now. So oh, that's not bad. yeah, and that's all I, I need. And then I have two seminars. Those aren't bad at all, because of course there's no coursework or anything, which I didn't know coming into grad school like 
welcome surprise. Yeah. I'm happy to have it. <laughs> yeah, right. So like seminars are often like, oh, read beforehand and then like mm-hmm. talk about it. Not even. Not COVID even. has made some things much worse, but other things much better. It sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, seminars, they let slide. So I'm just living my best life on that front. Yeah. And actually you just brought up such a good point. I don't know, like every once in a while, I have just like been in my house long enough that I almost forget COVID's happening because I just like don't leave. And I'm like, I'm in a bubble. <laughs> you started grad school during COVID. Yeah. That transition must have been somewhat better than perhaps someone who like moved across the country or to a different country or maybe not. I don't want to like minimize your experience. I'm like curious what you think. Yeah. Um, Well, it was kind of stressful because I'm from a town that's seven hours away from where I go to school. Oh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do my master's so quickly is because I don't want to be living in that town where I already spent four years. So I was trying to get it done as quickly as possible. And mm-hmm. pre-COVID, I was supposed to go back for one semester to take all my courses at once and get that done. And so I could get the heck out of there and get back to my hometown. But then COVID made everything go online. So I'm actually able to do it virtually and I'm much happier this way. Oh my gosh, wait, that is so nice. Yeah. So you're like back where you want to be living and still doing everything you want to be doing. I'm doing more than I wanted to be doing. Like, like my partner and I moved in together to oh my home. We got a puppy. Like, what kind of dog? Oh, she's half poodle and half Irish wolfhound. So she's massive. I was just gonna say, I was like, whoa, that's an image. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what that is, look it up. They're basically horses. Yeah. <laughs> But she's such a sweetheart. I love her. And I wouldn't have got her if I didn't get to stay home, right? So Yeah. When I got into my PhD program right out of undergrad, I had a similar like, yeah, this is really stressful, but it was really beneficial because my partner and I had been long distance for three and a half years. The fact that I got in did make it so we could move in together. We got a cat. We got another cat. He passed away. We got another one. Like, oh my God. I know I've never had cats in my life. So like my life has changed. They have an Instagram, which I haven't actually shared on the podcast. I need to keep oh, up with it better. It. No, I, okay. Listen, I'm going to, but I need to like commit better. I think they have a lot of posts, but I haven't kept it up in quarantine. So it's not uh, that I'm ashamed. I'm just low confidence. So <laughs> when I build it up a little stronger, I will plug it. But I had a similar thing of like, this is really stressful. And it was also somewhat convenient for me. Mm-hmm. And actually through COVID, I've kind of had a similar experience. He was supposed to go to nursing school, a one year nursing school program about an hour and a half away. But because of COVID, he hasn't actually had to move. So now we're like home all day together with our cats and he's still in nursing school. Things are great now. It was convenient. And at the same time, like there are awful things going on. It's like a lot of conflict. It's like kind of confusing. But you're bringing up something that I'm learning about as I'm a master's student. And that's that academia is just not conducive to building relationships with literally anyone. Like like children, family, having children. I can't even relate to that. And even just having like a partner. It's yeah. impossible to stay in the same place. Yeah, so my family... So I'm six hours away. I don't know why I made such a face when you said seven as if I'm not <laughs> six hours away from family because I am. I'm in the place where like but all of my grandparents except for one are still alive and I'm 25. I feel very, very lucky in that, but I never see them. If my partner and I have kids while I'm living where I'm living, I'm going to be six hours away from their great grandparent, which like how cool would it be that they actually have regular interaction with? Yeah, it's a struggle. Grad school and especially clinical psychology because for those of you who don't, now after we finish all of the research requirements and the dissertation we have to do a one-year internship but it works like the medical school match program so like people will go on interviews all around the country but it's only one year long so you go on all these interviews and then you rank find out in february move in july and then a year after that you're done who can uproot their life for a year to uproot it again for a postdoc if you're lucky enough to get one like not conducive to relationships or anything that's a tight chest just even thinking about that that is so the person doing a master's in one year I mean it's it's not that bad (laughs) so that's the truth (laughs) but it sounds like you made it work for you yeah exactly like again I thrive on being busy it's working for me and my course load isn't heavy so if you're in a different program or you do have a lot of courses it's probably not a good idea also I started my thesis in the summer so I'm not walking in without like I have my data almost collected like I have my ethics through so like technically like it's a year and a half because I had like a kind of an extra semester to catch up so And like, that makes sense, right? Like, this is a good example. Again, like, this is why networking can be so important. Like the fact that you had the opportunity to start that thesis a little bit earlier. And dare I say, sounds like you might, I mean, I don't know how Canada works, the land of magicalness and healthcare. Um, You probably are saving a ton of money by doing it in one year or not. So Canada's actually pretty good. So (laughs) what's that like? (laughs) Tuition is really not that bad. Like, 
If I lived in the U.S., I genuinely don't even know if I could go to school. Master's programs, I see anywhere from like thirty to 50000 a year. <gasps> so that's why I'm like, oh, yeah, do it in a year. That saves so much money. <laughs> and that's like out-of-state tuition. But typically, people are moving out-of-state to get their master's. Like, Oh, my God. That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I usually tell people interested in clinical psychology, unless they like really bomb their GPA, I usually recommend like, you know, if you can get a job as an RA or like a post-bac thing, I usually recommend that because it's not worth spending 50,000. But if you had a good GPA and you like just want to be a therapist and you're in psychology, I'll be like, oh, you can do that with just a master's and your competitive GPA means you could end up being a TA. And that would actually ironically cover tuition, give you healthcare and they pay you 20,000 a year. So it's like, you are either going like $50,000 in debt or you're getting paid with free tuition. There's scholarships and things that are in between, but like nothing really makes a dent like getting a TA ship or a GA ship. That's interesting. So like Canada, it's, I would say a lot easier because it's under 10K yearly guaranteed and you have a funding package given to you. So, So like, for example, like I get to be an RA, I get to be a TA, and I qualified for a scholarship. So, like, basically, I don't have tuition, and they're paying me on top of that. They're very supportive. Very supportive. I mean, the PhD program I'm in, they cover my tuition, and they pay me, and I get healthcare. But, like, that's PhDs. It's very different than master's. Like, I feel like it's also different in the U.S. Like, uh, I know a lot of people go straight to PhD, and that's kind of unheard of in Canada. Yeah, I did that where, yeah, so a lot of programs that are PhD programs in the US will allow you or require you to get your master's along the way, whether it be like a formal master's project, which is what I had, or some programs will just be like, do a big project and we'll count that as like, you moved on through your year one project, it's a master's. But the thing that actually sucks is that some people will get a master's first. Let's say you're interested in psychology, so you get a social psychology master's degree. And then you think to yourself, actually, I want to go into clinical psychology. So you get into a clinical psychology PhD program. You probably have to do a second master's because it's very likely they won't accept the first one because it wasn't in the area your PhD is in. Ew! We love these. It's all about the skills. Yeah, I don't... It's a business. That's all it is. It's a business. Yes, it is. It is. It's really true. Hence why I also tell people, don't go to a program that isn't funding you as a PhD because someone's not Mm -hmm. funding them. And with it being this business thing, like, I just think that speaks volumes. But back to you. On this, like, topic, though, of how different the U.S. and Canada are, are you wanting to work in Canada? Do you want to work in the U.S.? What are your career goals? Or, like, not even career, but, like... What do you want to do after your master's? Well, uh, geographically, quite frankly, I can't see myself in the U.S. Like, I Me neither. <laughs> it's so stressful there. It is. Like, I just can't, like, and it was stressful before everything went down. Just, I know every Canadian's freaked out by the concept of open carrying. Like, that's just, like, in and of itself is terrifying. In terms of post-masters, I do hope to go on to a PhD. I mean, in the field I'm in, if you're going to get... Beyond a bachelor's, you probably have to be interested in researching. Because I do like research, I am hopefully going to PhD and then hopefully tenure track, but check in on me in a couple of years and I might not be okay because (laughs) the job market now is dismal and the way 2020 is going, if 2021 is anything like this, it's not a good precedent and I don't think it's going to be good for anyone. Yeah, there's no rush into this job market. Okay, so you say like in my field. So then like, what do you hope to get a PhD in? So I'm kind of grappling with that right now. I was thinking about epidemiology, but the more I do it, the more I realize how kind of infectious disease-based it is. And like, that's the stereotype, but it's also true. And I know that the discipline is very diverse and they're trying to distance themselves from that. But like the truth of the matter is the the methods that they use are all rooted in that anyways. Mm. And because that's not necessarily my brand of health research, I'm thinking that I might just do a PhD in health sciences and then specialize in measurement methods. I think that's more in tune with my interests. Stay tuned. I'm not sure. I will stay tuned and not to toot my own horn, but what about like health psychology? Because that's what I do. And it sounds like health psychology with like a quantitative focus. I don't know. I'm not trying to bring you over to the dark side. I'm just (laughs) suggesting the dark side might also be nice. I haven't even looked into it, to be honest. And I haven't taken any psych courses. Like I didn't take like psych 1000 or anything. So I don't even know if they'd want me, but. That's so interesting. Because when I saw what you researched, I figured you were a psychology master's student. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. I've never gotten that before, but... I mean, I have a bias because that's all I know. So I don't take that for anything. 
<laughs> There's a lot of people who do psychology that don't ever touch therapy and they just, just research it. I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm biased, not trying to like sell you on psychology. That's not the only thing out there. I feel like I get like a message at least once a week that's like, you only have psychology people on your podcast. I'm like, no, no, no. You just haven't heard everybody else that comes on my podcast. Just give it a couple weeks. Yeah, you're brand new. I'm, I am new. Be nice. Actually, the internet is not a nice place. You know, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, I'm a little bit just too like comfortable, I think. And I'm like, should I chill out? But then I'm like, mm, that's probably not possible. Couldn't <laughs> if I tried, unfortunately. Couldn't if I tried. Yeah, my friend, my friend Stephanie, who was on a previous episode of the podcast, who told me once that I am literally physically, mentally unable to be anything other than genuinely exactly who I am. And uh, I could not agree with that more. I respect that. I like that. I'm glad that somebody likes that. A lot of people don't, but that's okay. <laughs> I have the same issue sometimes, sometimes because I'm very direct, so straight to the point, and then you can see it on their face, and they're like, what did you just say? And I'm like, I'm trying to help you. Like, yeah, yeah. understand? <laughs> I'm super direct and to the point. It, like, catches people off guard, then I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I, like, forget other people don't do that. It comes from a good place. Always from a good place. Yeah. Okay, and so the other thing that you just made me think of, because we were talking about how crazy busy and you thrive on busy, are you, like, self-caring? How are you doing that? And, like, how do you self-care? I mean, since I got the puppy, a lot of my free time is doing things with said puppy. Like, I love taking walks around the neighborhood and going to the dog park. Like, that's actually one of my favorite things. I love it. Um, I don't have that much free time, you know? Like, the other day I was writing out how many hours I have to spend on each thing. And, like, I'm really busy. So, I mean, self-care is just, like, the day-to-day, like, make sure I'm eating. Oh, the one thing I'm strict on, though, I always sleep enough. Because otherwise I'm an actual, like, total grump, total zombie. When I don't get enough sleep or I'm hormonal, uh, my boyfriend calls me grumpers. So I can totally relate to that because I get grumpy, too. <laughs> How do you make sure that you get enough sleep? Like, what are your tips and tricks for that? It's more so that I like physically can't wake up. So it's not so much a choice that I make as much as a uh, programmed into me. So like I'm in bed usually around like 10 p.m. and I'll wake up at 8. Oh my God. I need a lot of sleep, but I feel okay because I heard that I think it's like Einstein or someone like that slept 11 hours a day because of all the brain power. So that's how I just <laughs> That's what it is. It's all the brain power. So when it comes to your thesis, in the US, and I feel like department by department, it's a little bit different. So like my thesis was like 36 pages. Are you doing like the like 100 to 200 page, like it's a book and you have multiple papers come from it? Or is it like basically a manuscript that's a little bit longer? Like what's that expectation for you? Um, I think the plan, like the expectation in my research group, at least, is that we will publish your thesis. And if you don't publish it, the team will. So I'm ideally writing a manuscript to get published. And with this particular project, I will be involved, I think, with other manuscripts that come from it. They just won't be my thesis. Yeah, fair enough. And so like your journey so far in your master's, it's been technically a couple weeks, but really it's been a couple months. Like what has been the hardest part for you so far? Is it bad if I say learning R? Uh, no, I would <laughs> say same. I still haven't learned it. It's been four years. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. Like people are like, oh, it's the most intuitive program. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've used other programs and this is unique. <laughs> it's <laughs> unique. Yeah, that's my nice way of saying it. What have you programmed in before then? Uh, I like SPSS. I know it has a bad rap, but it's so easy. It's just the point and click. I know. Like, and what's so wrong with that? You know, if I'm not saying <laughs> anything so complicated, I don't get why it's so... I have recently had a change of heart. And this is like recent as in like the last month. Here's the thing. I was always like, SPSS is so intuitive. There's nothing wrong with it. And then I did start doing things that were more complicated, like merging 15 data sets together or mm. doing big complicated multi-level models not even like running the models just like managing the data or I have like so many steps that if I did one wrong I'd be like which step was wrong so I use what my mentor uses now which is SAS she also uses R but I'm not quite there with R to be able to do what I can do in SAS because I took a class on SAS I will learn R. I'm like learning it slowly. I just don't know enough that I'm like oh I need to do this thing I can just type it whereas like I can do that in SAS now so I think that SPSS, it's such a good gateway into the rest. Like, it's kind of like the gateway program, if you will, of... Happened with me. Yeah, you learn how to do certain things, and then it just becomes translating into those other languages. Like, I get that. I think, like, everyone starts with SPSS. I think, yeah, just the idea of coding. It's so foreign if you've never done it before, and then trying to do it feels impossible because it's honestly another language. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, definitely SPSS is a great stepping stone. But I will also say now that I'm in R, although it's hard, I really, really like writing syntax because 
I'm so much more familiar with my data and with what I'm doing with it. The intimacy that you have with it, I know that sounds weird to say. (laughs) No, I don't think it's weird. I totally agree. Like you really get to know your data a lot more. You can really track exactly what you do and when you're doing it. You could just rerun things, be like, oh, what did I do yesterday? Oh, I saved that. Thank God. I totally agree. I'm gonna, I'm going to learn R. It is like another language. It totally is. I have like a little like guide I made myself that I can share with you. Oh my God. It's like a public link. You can use it. I'm not responsible for what happens if you use it. (laughs) I feel like I've been looking at so many resources and I was really making headway in summer. And then the semester hit. We started a week early. I'm taking two classes a fourth year because that felt like a good idea. It's not. I mean, the classes are really relevant and I'm actually really enjoying both. But like all of a sudden I have 10 hours less in my week. Uh, So I just like have not been able to really touch it since the semester started. So I'm going to get back on it. It's basically the running joke of my Twitter. Like I think everyone relates to that. Yeah, Everyone's trying to learn R. If you didn't go to grad school to program, you're probably trying to learn R. And that's just been like what you've been trying to do for three or four years. (laughs) But it's also hard because if you look up, you want to do this one thing in R and you Google it and there are a million ways to do that and then I'm like what's the most efficient way and I'm terrified like someone's gonna ask me in my defense why did you do it that way and I'm gonna be like Google yeah I can't say Google told me so but Google told me yeah be like uh snowboarder 756 on Yahoo Answers (laughs) told me this was the best way I'm ashamed to say I've done that. Uh, Yeah, literally we all do. I'm also curious, you know, usually I'll ask people like what they're most proud of in grad school so far, but I know that you've only been in a couple months, so you can answer that if you have an answer. But if you don't, I'm curious to hear like what you're most excited about over the next couple of months. Uh, I think we can do both. Oh, yes. Um, I'm kind of proud that I'm able to be a mentor. I've always kind of wanted to be and I've had like... (laughs) I just like... I love when people are like, I am most proud of what I do for others. And I'm like, oh my God, so beautiful. (laughs) Well, I mean, because that's how I had a tweet about this recently. Like, this is the circle of academia. You don't go anywhere unless someone's reaching their hand down and pulling you up. So that's how I got there. Uh (laughs) I'm snapping quietly to not make noises in the mic, but like... There's a single tear rolling down her cheek. It's true. Yeah, so, I mean, I've always liked to be a mentor, like, natural leader, that kind of thing. So I, I like, I, I just feel comfortable in that role. But finally, I learned from master's students, and now I'm the master's student, so I get to teach some of the undergrads some of the skills that I've learned. So, like, tomorrow, for example, I'm leading a couple undergrads through R. Mm. <laughs> well, the circle of R, if you will. I know, yeah, super, super introductory, but... I mean, it's a skill that the sooner you start, the easier it is to master. And I'm also teaching them about just how to develop a survey and how to code one, because these are like the kind of untaught skills. Like you probably won't learn this in a class, but you're expected to know it for whatever reason once you actually move up in academia. So yep, definitely. I guess, is that also what you're most looking forward to, like continuing to mentor or is there like something separate? So I, yeah, definitely. This is something that I see myself doing for the foreseeable future. I'd like to continue mentoring in no matter what I'm doing, but I'm also really excited to kind of be able to branch out into my own research. So although like I love the research I'm doing with my supervisor, I don't get a ton of direction over what we're doing. And just being able to like have my own baby <laughs> would be really, really nice. You know, like that milestone of having your first first author manuscript, like I can see that like stop on the highway, that exit. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's like the first time that like you really own something and like it's really yours. I had my first uh, first author manuscript get accepted right at the beginning of COVID. And it was with a project I did in my undergrad. And I was so, so proud of it. And I still am. But I feel like I'm almost very slightly more excited for my thesis to eventually get published because I feel like that project I did everything everything whereas like my undergrad project I didn't do the stats for it like my mentor had done that and she was second author so like that was very appropriate but my thesis I feel like I've been through it with her you know what I mean like (laughs) I know her and I'm ready to get her out yeah evict her get her published so I think that maybe like my first grad school paper I'm also like having those same like excitement vibes for totally absolutely And so before we jump into your journey to grad school and like anything in that realm, we've talked so much about student Kara and your passion for mentoring and your interest in like feminism and like maternal health and intimate partner violence. Like who are you outside of all of that? I feel a little attacked right now. <laughs> Why? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so oh, is it because your your work? Because um, I am my work, and I hate that cliche, but I am. Oh, 
like I here's the thing I really really enjoy research so like in my free time that's what I want to be doing so like there's really no hard line between research Kara and Kara because they're the same person Mm, that's fair like look if that's your answer I'm not gonna argue with you and be like you have to be someone else like (laughs) do do what you want I mean my other personality would be crazy dog mom but like that's not a whole person like I would just say like what you see is what you get like student Kara is the exact same Kara that you're getting right now and I feel like that's the whole that's my podcast theme like I am very expressive as a person I talk a lot I usually take some of my ramblings out of these episodes because they are non-valuable to conversation outside of like the live version of it like in recording I just am saying nothing for two minutes but I'm pretty similar we're like what you see is what you get it's just this like I'm not putting on any kind of facade of like I don't think I can I actually have decided I just like can't put up walls like not that it's I can't exactly. set boundaries. Oh my God, it's so tiring. Yeah, don't do it. No, I like can't not make faces at things. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> able to. I like I'm able to in like settings where like it's incredibly inappropriate not to. But like it's tiring and I like need a lot of Chipotle after. Mm. So, <laughs> so let's, uh, I want you to think way back before you were a grad student five months ago. What was your journey in undergrad like? Did you have roadblocks? Were there things that were stressful? Like, you know, you persevered through or or maybe not, but that you had like a really influential, I don't know, influential things happen in undergrad that pushed you in this direction? Uh, I would say like there's obviously like little trials and tribulations along the way for anyone. But one that was a constant for me was a premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Wait, me too. No. Are you lying? I'm not lying. Stop it. I literally tweeted about that today. I have BMDD too. Do you? I'm dead. I'm I'm not happy for you, but I'm I'm not happy for you either, but I'm happy for us. (laughs) I'm happy for us. Wait, this is amazing. Oh my God. We haven't even talked about the fact that we're bisexual on top of that. Oh my God. Okay. Go. I didn't mean to take that fire, but I just like lost it. Okay. It was so bizarre too, because you know, like you live with it your whole life and you're like, this is just how it is, hormones. And then it's like, wait, like this is actually not normal and like this doesn't happen to everyone and I shouldn't be feeling this way. But then people are so quick to dismiss it because within a week your symptoms are gone. Gone. So you're like, oh you're okay. And like, well, not really. Like I just it's so difficult. And then even getting diagnosed, they're like, no, you're just depressed. Like how can you even tell if it's like hormones or just depression? I was like there is a clear difference. Clear. So let's do a some quick information about what PMDD or premenstrual dysphoric disorder is for people listening. My understanding of it, and like, I just got so hype about this. Okay. (laughs) PMDD is a mood disorder that goes along with the cycle of your period. So about two weeks before your period, you know, right after ovulation. Sorry, my cat's playing with a cat. (laughs) His name is Catalope because he's orange like a cantaloupe. Stop it. I love that. Hold on. I got to take this away from him. I'm going to die. Hang on. Now we're back. Sorry about that. So two weeks before you actually have your period, um, it's going to be right after ovulation. You know, there's some hormone dips and hormone changes that happen essentially as your body prepares to have a period. For some people, sounds like me and you, who happen to, for whatever reason, be biologically sensitive to those hormone shifts, for whatever reason, with those hormone shifts come really intense physical and mental like symptom changes. So it looks a little bit different for everybody. For me, it was like intense irritability and and, like anxiety as a teenager it was depression some like passive suicidal ideation and like really intense bloating I would have extremely painful periods like would have to miss school like for Advil wasn't touching it like just like so intense and then I would get my period and two days later I was good person no, I was like, no anxiety, no depression. I mean, I was a teenager at the time. Like I did have it then because I was 15. And so PMDD for a lot of people is well managed with therapy or birth control or an antidepressant. I manage it with birth control. And so I get very normal PMS symptoms now. I get irritability and I get a little hangry and I get overwhelmed a little bit. Like my threshold for being upset or overwhelmed is a lot smaller, but it's not where it was. So <laughs> usually I have a day where I'm like, I'm overwhelmed and I cry, my boyfriend buys me Chipotle and then I'm like kind of good, but (laughs) that was not the story when I was younger. So um, as comfortable as you are sharing any of it, like similar, different experience, like 
what's it like for you? Well, like it's obviously uncomfortable to talk about, but I wish more people would because getting it accommodated in any way is so difficult because you can see someone literally within a week and they're like, wait, but weren't you just Mm -hmm. sick? And you're like, yeah, I was, but that's the nature of this. And I feel like people are more understanding when you have a chronic mental health condition because it's just, you're just more consistent. Anyways, tangent. So (laughs) my symptoms, when I was a teenager, like I knew that every month there would be at least one or two nights where I would cry myself to sleep. And I just knew that that would happen. And I just thought that was so normal. And I'm like, every once in a while, once in a month, I'll have my sad day and then I'm good. And like nowhere in my brain did I think that's not a normal thing to do. Like on a schedule, Kara, really? Like how does that Yeah, I would like schedule my life around when my period was coming. Oh, that makes sense you know I wouldn't plan things with friends it's yeah people don't talk about it they really don't I feel like it's there's always a stigma around mental health but PMDD is just like so silent in the conversation it's very weird I feel like when you think about how PMS is talked about in the media people are like oh it's just PMS oh you're PMSing oh you're on your period I'm actually great when I'm on my period catch me a week before though and I am (laughs) not totally because then my partner's like are you on your period and I'm like no but it's coming <laughs> yeah or or I'll just like I'll be really upset and I'll be like I don't understand and he'll be like um hun I think this week maybe next week you can just and I'll be like it's not my period <laughs> and then like five days later I'll be like oh I got a period and he'll be like mm-hmm yeah. oh my he's so sweet about it <laughs> mine is so like, just make a schedule I'm like oh I guess and then, like, afterwards, I'll be like, it wasn't that bad this month. And he'll be like, mm-hmm. And he'll be like, you know, you know it's coming every, you know, it's it's going to happen every time. And I'm like, no, 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 but this month, this month, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to go on walks. I'm going to, like, love my body. And then, and then the week comes and I'm like, fuck it. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I just get, like, I, it's... It's so strange. Things that don't make me anxious, don't get me angry, don't get me frustrated. It'll be like, I'll get an email and I'll be like, I could just cry right now. And the email it just doesn't say anything. Yeah. Just a normal thing. That's yeah. crazy that we share that. I know. And I'm interested too, because you have a lot of physical symptoms. And then the only thing that I really get is bloating. You manage it with birth control, but I didn't want to do hormones because I think I, I knew intuitively I'm sensitive to hormones, hence PNBD. Mm-hmm. So... I went with the copper IUD. Oh. So and there's no hormones. So then I ended up in December, like having like total breakdown, had to go on antidepressants and just finally figured out my friggin' meds. And mm-hmm. it feels so good. Like I'm like, oh my God, this is the person that I remember I was. Like oh. I can like talk to people and I'm not just like a like there but not there, you know? Like just like faking it through. I'm so glad that you said that. I think that it's really important to share stories of like really successful experiences with antidepressant medication. Antidepressants can be really scary when you see all the side effects and a lot of people have really varied experiences, but I love that you just shared that. It was actually really positive and you would just like feel like yourself again. Oh, I would honestly, like there's no shame in trying it and it's not as scary as you think. Like I think a lot of the hype is the anxiety around it. And often if you're a person with anxiety taking it, that's going to be heightened for you but it can totally like there's only so much that diet and exercise can do like I do everything else in my life right and I was still having this and it was still because of the hormones like it's completely out of my control and I need to come and that's the tough thing about it and I think that this can be mental health in general to an extent right so like as a therapist I very much believe like we are in a lot of ways in control of our mental health but so many mental health conditions have this like biological or genetic component that we don't fully understand, right? It's like with like antidepressants. If you've ever been prescribed them or talked to a doctor, they usually say, give them two weeks to a month to work. And we don't know why it takes two weeks to a month to work because we don't fully understand exactly what biologically goes on that like lends people to either be vulnerable or that is really like is it a is it an imbalance like we can't measure the hormones of the brain we don't know it's just this is what we draw conclusions by because of how things do or don't work I didn't know that they didn't actually know what was going on (laughs) I mean it's not that they don't know I don't mean to say like we're flying blind it's not that it's just like when you think about we know why Advil works because we could tell you exactly what goes down and when and how and by what mechanism we can tell you everything about Advil and we can tell you how medications like antidepressants work like at a molecular level we don't know why it is like leading to lowering depression because what we like what I've seen studies of is that antidepressants will within a day within a couple days change the serotonin levels in your brain 
but that doesn't actually necessarily correlate to people feeling better when those levels are changed. Why? Why does it take two to four weeks if it's hitting your body much earlier? We don't know. So there's a lot of unknowns with mental health because we can't measure it. Like we can measure blood levels, like we can measure cholesterol, right? So it's really complex. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I'll also say I am on a hormonal birth control. I'm on an IUD that's hormonal, but I like think about all the time. I want to be a mom and Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm more concerned for me or my boyfriend for when we have to get me on birth control. (laughs) Honestly, I thought about this too. And I'm like, knowing that I am so sensitive to hormone fluctuations. Well, you know what? You can take antidepressants though when you're trying to get pregnant. Because my gynecologist was like, when you want to go off birth control and try to have kids, we're just going to put you on um, an antidepressant. And I was like, amazing. I'll do it. But apparently there's options, but I'm still like... the physical stuff then yeah I'm kind of like oh hope we get pregnant fast whenever that happens (laughs) (laughs) but anyways oh my gosh I'm so glad you shared that I'm so glad that we could talk about that so we have now talked about what you do in grad school what your life is like things that you've gone through right so this PMDD thing I'm still so hype on that I'm gonna I promise I'll drop it soon and you've talked a little bit about this like journey to grad school with this not being necessarily a roadblock but this just like influencing you at every step I'm curious like what would you say to someone inspired by what you're talking about or what would you say to someone who is thinking about going into what you're going into I mean just in regards to PMDD like really like critically evaluate yourself and ask yourself like if a friend was telling you that they're crying themselves to sleep every month on the same day kind of thing and like having a hard time but then it just magically goes away and they can't identify the source like if someone was telling you that you would look into it, you know, like you wouldn't just be like, oh, that's just normal. That's just hormones. That's just whatever, because it's not. So give your, treat yourself with the same kindness that you would treat a friend. And then I stole that. That is not me. Being I was like, that was so beautiful. no, I stole that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like it's, it's possible to do grad school and have mental illness. I mean, I feel like we might even be disproportionately represented in grad school because <laughs> I think I read a settlement somewhere. Um, so yeah, you can do it, but you, you can't do it without support. So whether that comes from your friends and people in your life, whether that comes from birth control, medication, you have to find it before you start. Otherwise, you probably won't make it through. You'll have a very hard time and you'll have to prioritize yourself over your school. And I know that's a choice that nobody wants to make, but you got to take care of yourself first. So that's just how it is. And then anybody like who is hearing, you know, maternal health and intermittent partner violence, you know, we didn't dive right into research. And most of that is because like, I don't want to challenge you as somebody five months into like building, a, you know, an area of research, but like anyone who's interested in that area, like what would you recommend somebody who is also a first year master's student? What advice would you give? Or maybe someone who is going to be entering a master's program next year? What advice would you have in general? Uh, Again, just echoing what I said earlier about the supervisor, if you're going into a master's, you probably want to do a PhD. To do a PhD, you need skills before you get there. A master is all about the skills and it's not about the topic. You can do your master in anything that will be relevant to the PhD that you want to do. So choose it based on your supervisor because a supervisor that is supportive will make all the difference in you actually acquiring those skills and being motivated to keep going in academia to do a PhD. Absolutely my biggest piece of advice. How did you know that you had good fit with your advisor? Uh, A lot of it, you can ask them all the questions you want. They'll tell you what like you want to hear. That's just how it is. Um, So I would just ask the other grad students in their lab. For me, I already knew them because I was already at that university. So I got lucky. Um, But then you can also tell by, I guess, asking them things like, are there any scholarships that you think I would be a good candidate for? Like, for example, my supervisor reached out to me saying, I think you'd be a great fit for this. Let's do an application. And so that's how I'm funding the majority of my master's. I wouldn't have that funding otherwise unless she reached out to me. So that was a huge key into me that, okay, you actually really do care about my success and I'd like to work with you. That's amazing. Yeah. No. Oh, my God. See, like, she's she's incredible. I respect her beyond belief. So, yeah, look for that support and make sure that you have it because you absolutely need that to get through. Yeah. And this actually just like reminded me, I mean, you are now because you're able to do things virtually living in like your hometown. So my gut is telling me, but please tell me if I'm wrong, that you probably have a good support system. You know, this might be different if you were like living still seven hours away and like your undergrad friends had finished undergrad and left and then it would just be like all new people. But like, how are you maintaining a support system? Like, how are you coping through all of that? Um, So I'm tight with my family, again, Italian. So 
like family, always lots of support there. Uh, and I do have my partner. Uh, but I'm kind of actually finding it difficult because I came from an academic environment and now I'm back in my hometown and I've drifted apart from my friends from high school over the four years and they don't have the same interests that I do anymore. So it'd be difficult to reconnect. And then coupled with being virtual, it's like, how do I even find people who I can connect? Like I can't sit next to you in class and kind of swap notes. I'm finding it difficult to make connections with other grad students because we live a unique lifestyle. We don't have a lot of free time to just do whatever, but we still need support. So I think like grad students are a great match to be friends with other grad students, but now it's really hard to find them. Yeah, that's such a good point for me when I think about a master's program. It's like, because you're there for two years, like, yeah, you might make friends, but like, is it going to be meaningful? Is it going to be deep? I don't really know. But I'm sitting here, I'm like, actually, like, it's still a really key and crucial time in life to like, have a support network and to meet people, even if it's going to be a couple of years, as if four years of high school or four years of undergrad is a more significant time than two or three, like, it's still a significant part of your life. You're in your early 20s, like, we're all flailing around. <laughs> and I think that what you said, like, I think a lot of people starting grad school or maybe people just in their second year are struggling with the fact that they didn't build a strong support system last year, weren't able to, and, and aren't able to this year. Like, that's really tough. I have to imagine that academic Twitter has been a really cool place for that. I mean, I connected with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had so many opportunities and met cool people. Like, I've never had conversations with some of these people in person, but we're always interacting with each other in some way. And that's been really nice because if you don't have people in your life who understand what you're passionate about, you still need an outlet for that. That's what academic Twitter has done for me. And this is such a good plug. I know that I get a lot of listeners from academic Twitter, but there are a lot of people who are just kind of word of mouth spreading the podcast around. And like, I want to send all of you flowers and I'm in love with all of you. And I think that if you are somebody listening who isn't on academic Twitter, I totally get it. If you're not a Twitter person, I totally get it. But even if you just made an account to see other grad students just to feel less alone, you know, it can, every place on social media can be toxic, but something really special is happening over there. And like, I don't really say that lightly, or I don't mean to say that so cliche, but, and maybe this is because I have a grad student podcast that is literally dependent on the fact of interacting with other grad students, but I haven't interacted with so many people that I have so many things in common with. And it's just like incredible. Like, if you're like, wow, Alana, you're not really articulating that. It's because I like haven't been able to yet because it's still <laughs> really sinking in. Like at this point, the podcast has been live for like six weeks and I'm like still coming down from that because it was like so much at once and I'm getting so much good feedback and I'm connecting with so many people. And I don't know, I have really benefited in the pandemic feeling disconnected from others by the connections I'm making on Twitter. Absolutely. It sounds silly to say out loud. I don't know why. No, it I'm makes like... total, like, for example, like I was trying to reconnect with my high school friends and I started telling her about my research. And of course, I'm super excited. It's like my thesis. Like, of course, every grad student, that's all they want to talk about. Yeah. And then you get kind of like a okay, cool in response and like, no questions. Yeah. And it's not their fault. They just don't, they're just not in the like bubble that we're all stuck in. They don't get it. So if, if the people in your life aren't getting it and this is what you're passionate about, like, again, you need an outlet. So go over to academic Twitter and talk about whatever you want. Like there are people who are interested in literally everything you can imagine. Like, everything. Everything. Like I didn't even know that was a discipline and it's so cool. That is a story of my life. There are people that are like, I'll, I'll see with their research. I'm like, how did you learn that the species existed? Let alone studying it. <laughs> people in like animal sciences or like in molecular yeah. things, they'll be like, oh yeah, I say like this kind of cell. And I'm like, how did you, I've never heard that word in my existence as a human being. Oh yeah. You'll learn something. <laughs> Devoting your life to it is amazing. So we're wrapping up here. And one of the first things that I learned about you I don't know if you messaged, did you message me to be a guest on the podcast or did I message you? I can't keep track. Oh, I definitely messaged you. Oh my God. Amazing. So when you were introducing you, yourself to me, you're basically like, yeah, here are some things about me that we could talk about. And I'm like, oh, there's a ton. Let's do a day in the life. I want to cover all of this as you were like, I'm bisexual. And I had said to you on this DM, I was like, oh my gosh, same. I like kind of talk about it on Twitter. I like said it for the first time on Twitter and you're like, congrats. And I was like, yeah. Then I was like, am I, I don't know if I'm really out on Twitter. There's been times where it's like LGBTQ plus scientists follow Friday. And I'm like, that's me. But then I don't like say anything about it. And then I was like, am I ashamed? I don't think so. I think for me, it's weird because I'm in a heterosexual relationship. And so I'm like, I just don't think people will like believe me. I've never been in a same sex relationship. I've never like, and so I'm like, it doesn't count. I Okay. It's called bi erasure. I learned about this. I did too. It's total crap. 
It's yeah, I'm in the same. That's why I purposely use the term partner because that's kind of like affirming my queerness to myself, even though I'm in a heterosexual relationship. It happened for a long time. Yeah, I'm like almost seven years in. So I'm like, I don't yeah. People think, okay, like if you're dating a woman, you're a lesbian. If you're dating a man, you're straight. And there is no room for anywhere in between because that's all people see when they look at you, even though a lot of people in those relationships are bisexual or pansexual or whatever else, right? So I don't know. I, I try and purposely like make people second guess so it becomes more mainstream. I don't know if you noticed. I noticed you saying partner and I was actually, I was wondering, I was like, I, I think she said boyfriend before we started recording, but I can't remember. Good. And then I was like, why is that important for me to know? Why does that even matter? I mean, it doesn't. But I was like thinking, I was like having a really introspective moment here in my head. And I was like, <laughs> keep it in, hold it in. Yeah, I do that on purpose because I'm like, you know what? I am in a straight passing relationship, but that doesn't mean that I'm straight. So like, let me ask you this. Like, when did you figure out that you were bisexual? When did you like tell people about it? Slash, when did you tell Twitter? Because those were all different things for me. <laughs> okay, me too. So yeah. I like grew up in Catholic school. So I didn't have any queer people in my life, openly at least. So I had no idea for the longest time. Again, I was a feminist, so I was always like a firm, like, gay rights thing like yada yada and then like being an ally to the community without even realizing like I was a part of it myself even though my first kiss was a girl and it was like in grade eight and like after school we would always like date and like kiss (laughs) because that's what you do when you're that young um but it never even occurred to me that I could be gay like not even once and even though that's it was literally right in front of me and then kind of I just came to terms with it over the last couple of years like being away at school and stuff like that I was like you know what you don't have to have had a relationship to be attracted to multiple genders whatever it is for you so yeah. I had a kind of similar story. I mean, I didn't have like the grade eight story like you mentioned. I think like for me, somewhere around high school, I was just kind of like, oh, but I'm not going to deal with that right now. And so I just yeah. kind of like avoided it because I was like, I was also in a long term relationship in high school that was heterosexual that I was like, it, it doesn't. I mean, for a while I was like, am I gay? And I think it came down to like, eventually in college, I had the realization of like, hang on, I can be both. I can be really, really happy and really, really fulfilled by my heterosexual relationship and also not be straight. And so I had, I don't even, I had a friend come out to me in college. I actually I had like three friends tell me as the first person they ever told that they were, you know, gay or bi, which is like, I don't know why I was the one, but I was. And I think eventually I just decided that I was I was thinking about it so much and I was so stressed out about what do I label myself? Who am I? You know, I would say the word heterosexual and I would like get tight chested like I was lying. Mm-hmm. But I like didn't know why. And so the day that I, I don't even remember the very first time I said it. I remember the first time I told my boyfriend, but like I remember telling him and being like, hey, I'm having a lot of stress by not saying that this is who I am and this doesn't change us and this isn't because I cheated on it with a woman and I'm not going to cheat on it with a woman and this doesn't change anything. This is just me saying that this is also part of me. And the se- I'm not even kidding. The second I started saying it, I was like, what do I think about now? Like my mind was clear. I was like, I don't have, I'm not stressed anymore. I'm not obsessing over anything anymore. And I basically being me, but just started like telling everyone I knew. I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, did you know I'm bisexual? Like um, my, in my family, there are like, there are gay people. And so we were on vacation last year and we were on the couch. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Oh, I'm so I just am awkward as a human being. So we're on the couch and it was, this is like kind of complex, but it was like, so my stepmom is still besties with her ex-husband and he's gay and he's remarried to a man. And so like my dad, my stepmom, her ex and his new husband and like me and my step-siblings on vacation. It's amazing. So my stepmom's ex and his new husband were all on the couch. And I was like, so there are more gay people in this room than straight. And they were like, are you gay? And I was like, no, I'm bi. And they're like, okay. <laughs> like, why did you need to tell us? And I was just like, I don't, I don't know. And they're like, you can just be that. And I was like, okay, okay I just wanted everyone to know. And they're like, we don't, not that like we don't care, but like yeah. it's not that they're not a lovey-dovey family, but they're also blunt and direct and to the point. So they were kind of like, what's your point? And I was like, okay, I, don't, <laughs> I was just letting you know. Like, I was just trying to be funny. I don't know. <laughs> See, I love that. That's fantastic. Because I'm actually not out in real life. 
real life. Really? I didn't come out to my family because I, and it's not that I think they would reject me or be ashamed. And I'm very lucky to have that. It's because I don't want it to be a big deal. Mm. I really <laughs> don't want it to be a big deal like, at all. Partially. That's so funny. So like my mom used to like work at gay clubs through like the AIDS epidemic. So like everyone was my gay uncle. And so like I grew up being pro-gay from like the womb. And then on my dad's side, when he got remarried, like his, um, my stepmom's ex was gay. And like, that was my steps, my step siblings dad. So like, I would just like was all, it was never a weird thing. My family was never Mm -hmm. like anti-gay. So for me, I was more of like, I want to be in the club, let me in the club and affirm me. And they were kind of like, it does not a big deal. And I was like, no, let me in the club. And they were like, we don't care. Good. Congrats. Okay. Can we swap? That's it. (laughs) I mean, and I feel really lucky that that was my experience that like, it was almost laughable that they were like, why are you, why did you say it like that? Why you're, and I was like, I don't know. I feel really lucky in that. And I kind of hope that like, that's the way that the world goes. And like you're saying, you're like, I kind of wish that like no one cared. And it's actually really interesting to hear you say that like you're not out in real life. Like for me, the last place I hadn't really come out was Twitter. Oh, really? It was the, exactly what I said. I was like, I think that people will be like, well, it doesn't affect you. Why do you need to talk about it? And it's one of those things that like I strangely kind of relate to as a Jewish person because no one sees me as Jewish until they know I'm Jewish. And then for some people who are um, racist, I don't know what it would be called, anti-Semites, um, it really changes how they see me. And so... I'm like straight passing and I'm non-Jewish passing and there are these things about me that like they don't affect me day to day and I feel really weird talking about sometimes but are like major core parts of my identity that Mm -hmm. like literally make up most of who I am as a person. So I just decided to talk about it. That's great. Because I was like, it's still important, I think. People should see your full self if you want to show it. I mean, yeah, that's interesting though because Twitter's the first place I came. Well, no, I told my boyfriend and he was like, oh, I knew that. I could tell. <laughs> I I love when I read things like that. I saw something on Twitter today that was like, I came out as bi, you know, this past year, but my partner, you know, when I came out to them, he's like, yeah, I've known this for 15 years. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm just like, that's so interesting that Twitter knew first for you. Oh, and it was great. I would recommend it because. Um... <laughs> so what you're telling people listening is that if you're bisexual and you haven't come out to anyone, Go publicly online to Twitter first. The most public domain. That's actually true, though. They will hype you. They will hype you up, and they might give you the courage to do it in real life because you know you have a community to fall back on. That's true. I'll say hi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll send that really fantastic SpongeBob gif that's like, bisexuality. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was amazing. Um, And, like, I was actually really surprised. Like, I have the flag in my profile, and I was like, oh, I've done a couple posts, like, most people are like gonna pass this by. That's like not a big deal. And I got like 150 likes, and I was like, oh, maybe this does matter to some people. Maybe it is actually. You know who those likes are? They are people pre out because that was me liking all of them and be like, shh, I'm here and I support you, but I'm not. I used to be nervous before I was out to like like those. What I also found it was like a ton of people hyping on Twitter and liking it, and then it was like people from my program, like professors and students who like hadn't just like outwardly told I didn't keep it from them I just like hadn't outwardly told and I'd be like oh another professor liked the poem glad you know like I forgot you know it was like awesome it wasn't a bad thing I was just kind of like oh that's weird because on my side no one really acknowledged it that I knew in real life so my academic circle in real life like I don't know if they liked it I didn't like scroll through anything but like no one really said anything no one said anything I just got likes so also in uh real life like with my friends at least away from school I would like not hide it like you were saying just kind of like slip it into conversation and like let them be a little bit confused (laughs) I enjoyed that and I I didn't want to like come out completely but I would just be like I would just like make like a gay comment kind of thing and like make them question themselves you know yeah or I would um my favorite thing is like if in conversation I'll be like well as part of the LGBTQ um community and then not give any context people would be like I don't you're part of the and I'd be like I'm taking that I like I would just say because it would be kind of like oh I'm part of that community and like if you want to ask you can ask me yeah. But I'm not just giving you gossip. Like, I, yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, maybe that's my experience, but that's a conversation for a different time and one that I'm not willing to yet make public on the podcast. Valid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Kara, we've been chatting for quite a while. I just want to thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today. I have really enjoyed our conversation and 
hearing how different your experience is, A, in the wonderful land of Canada, uh, B, <laughs> as a master's student, and, like, it has just been great to bond with somebody about PMDD and, like, the struggles of grad school and finding fit and being bi, and so <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> I, would, I honestly had so much fun. Like, oh, I'm so glad. Like, I was saying, like, there's not many people in my life, like, get the academic part, like, let alone the bi part and the PMDD yeah. part. So, like... I don't know anyone else in real life with PMDD. Really? Really. Me, either. That's so true. I know people with other mental illnesses, but PMDD yeah. is just, like, so... It's just kind of, like... It, I mean, people with depression or anxiety can totally relate, but there's just, like, something so foreign about the fact that I can, like, predict my literal ability to, like, handle things day to day. It's so bizarre, and it's so different, for sure. Well, I'm so glad that we have connected. I want to remind everyone, where can they find you online? If you want to go ahead, give your Twitter handle. You want to spell it out this time. And as a reminder for people, it will be linked below. So, Kara, what is your Twitter handle? Where can people connect with you online? Hi. So you can find me on Twitter at Kara A. Davidson. It's C-A-R-A, then another A, and then D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N. And then I also have a LinkedIn, but I'm not much fun there. So you definitely want to be on my Twitter. (laughs) No one's fun on LinkedIn. I don't even have one. I was told not to make one. I mean, it's kind of used, like I use it more to keep track of my CV than I do to connect or network. So yeah, Twitter's the place to be if you're an academic, guaranteed. Twitter is the place to be. Well, we will end it on that. So thank you so much for chatting with me today, Kara. And listeners, I will catch you next time. Are you following the podcast on social media? You should be. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Dear Grad Student, on Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod, and on YouTube by searching Dear Grad Student Podcast. If you want to connect with me online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore G-L-O-G-E-R. Reminder that you can find the link for free delivery on your first order over $35 for Instacart in the description. And if you like what you heard today, please spread the word about the show. If you can, you can rate and leave a review for Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, wherever you listen to your other favorite shows. Reminder that all resources and anything mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana.